Hi, this is Peter David, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. And when I think of you, I touch myself. <laughs> That was love, Lee. Oh, it's Day. <laughs> yes, it is. That was creepy. Yeah. The two love who loves in my life. Aww. What? Really? <laughs> no, <laughs> not really. Oh. I mean, you, you are, are two loves of my life, but you're not the love of my life. Well, I don't. I, 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 can't, my do, I can't do you right. What are you doing tonight? Yeah, talking to you. We're, we're heading out to uh, tomorrow morning. We're heading out to uh, go skiing for the long weekend. Taking a long weekend. Um, it'll be my first time on skis since I was 17. I've, uh, I've, snow- I've snowboarded my I've snowboarded since I was 20, and uh, so that's what uh, a little over 20 years. And my kids and my wife, of course, are all very avid skiers. And so I just thought it might be fun to uh, try skiing for the weekend, see what I think, to maybe do that with the family. If, if I if I have less, actually, I'm taking a lesson uh, tomorrow, and uh, and if the lesson uh, goes horribly wrong, I'll just put my snowboard back on for the next day and uh, and do that. But uh, hopefully, I, I I enjoyed enough to stick with it. Nice. Well, here's hoping yeah. that next episode we don't have to Skype in from the hospital. <laughs> You're uh, the only time in my adult life I didn't have health insurance. I tore my MCL snowboarding. Oh man! Ugh. Well, fingers crossed. You'll do fine. You'll be fine. What time do the uh, shiatsu massages for your ladies start tonight? <laughs> right after we're done. <laughs> While we're doing it. Oh, nice! Yeah, multitasking, baby. Oh, I love it. Only if Bad I can get the, here, the wrecking crew to do mine. <laughs> Oh, the wrecker and shit. Yep. Thunderball. Banging her ass with the crowbar. <laughs> oh, my God. Take it. This just took a turn. A, a nasty turn, as does every episode of 11 O'Clock Comics, because you are listening to just that. 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 524. Special Valentine's Lord. Day episode. Woohoo! And I am Vince B. Bringing the oh, love. You are Vince B. I am David A. Price. Indeed you are, and I am Lil Rel Howry. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> you're Jason Wood, everybody. You couldn't even say it. You didn't That's even exactly it. why I skipped right by it. <laughs> Jason Wood and Lil Rel house. Howry is a stand-up comedian who Dap would know best as Rod Williams from Get Out. Oh, okay. I still haven't friend. seen that. Yeah. Yeah. What? Bro. I still haven't seen hmm? it. Bro. So crazy, bro. Yeah, I heard. I heard good things. But yes, so I'm Lil Rel Howry. No, you're not. Lil Rel Hulahan. You are Jason <laughs> Wood. I'll say it again. What? And this episode has been brought to your waiting ears thanks to the generosity of our Patreon supporters. 
They are there for us uh, each and every month, and they're there for you, too, because they're elevating, they're giving of themselves, and everybody benefits from it. So if you would like to check out our Patreon page, we implore you to do so. Uh, we've been putting up videos recently for the previews, uh, 353, where we go through mm-hmm. and, and give you some, some tips and what we think you should order. Um, you know, grain of salt, right? It, they're just fun. So uh, check it out, uh, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics, no apostrophe, one one. Yes, sir. Well done. And we got some business to take care of on that Patreon front while we're at it, don't we? We surely do. Dap, you are the the protector, the coveter, the curator of our book of the month process. Much so why don't you break him off something, something. But before you do that, though, tell me what you're drinking. Oh, man. No, I never go first. I can't do that. Yes, you Ooh, can. That feels weird. We're switching man. it up. It's Valentine's Day. Wow, we're not asking you to shake it. Just <sighs> did you get your lady some books? <laughs> books. <laughs> uh, not yet. Well, uh, yes, yes, I did. Surfing All the right. volcano. Um, I am because it is Valentine's Day, and I'm trying to stay tight and right. Uh, this is uh, Canada Dry Lemon Lime Sparkling Seltzer Water. That's brutal. It is. It's brutal. actually okay. unheard of. Right, what are you drinking? Well, I can't say I got much better. I'm actually drinking milk. Oh, dear <laughs> Lord. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, I'm not. Clean yourself out? Nothing no. repulses me more than somebody sitting next to me drinking milk. Wait, really? Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I cannot. Wait, really? Yes. So you, you, like, you, you don't make your kids drink milk because it grosses you out? No, I, I won't stop them from drinking it. But um, um, just to set an example, hot summer day, my wife will go to the refrigerator, pour a tall-ass glass of milk, drink it, and give me the mm-hmm. delicious. And I, I, I want to vomit. Number one, I'm lactose intolerant, so I, I can't handle the milk. And when someone else drinks it, I get surrogate pains in my stomach when they wow. drink the milk. That's how bad milk affects me. Yeah. Well, I guess it's Pavlovian, uh, but yes, I'm drinking ice-cold skim milk right now. Well, okay, I'll give you plus <laughs> one for the skim, because that's just like yeah, white, yeah. It's white, white water. It's white water, yeah. Yeah, so you're good. You're good. You drinking whole yeah. milk, I'd be on, I'd tap out. No, <laughs> no. And I do have a, I do have an, uh, a mandarin orange seltzer for after that. But... Sweet, literally. Yes. Well, By you, Vince? I'm, you know, the mystery wine. I don't. It's good. I don't know what it is, but I'm drinking it. Mystery wine. Yes, it is a pretty big damn jug. <laughs> Little Abner brought it. That's how big the jug is. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that was cute. You're not old it? at all. No. So, uh, much to Vince's chagrin, I am currently curating and handling our book of the month chores, uh, and for February. You folks have voted, and we have a winner. Uh, the 11 choices were Bean World Volume 4, Hook a Hook a Burble Burble, Catwoman, Selena's Big Score, Classic G.I. Joe Volume 1, The Complete DR and Quench, DuckTales Treasure Trove, Electra Assassin, Green Arrow The Archer's Quest, House of M., the New Teen Titans, The Judas Contract, Next Wave, Agents of Hate, and Preacher Volume 1, Gone to Texas. And your winner with 23% of the votes 
that uh, 93 voters voted on is Next Wave Agents of Hate. Wow, I'm stunned. I never expected that one to win. I don't believe you. No, I mean, it's gorgeous. But I, I thought like with I thought I thought for sure Selena's big score would take it. Really? Yeah. I didn't think that had a chance. That's a beloved book. I, I thought it was good. If Next Wave wasn't on it, I would have um figured two would have uh been possibly neck and neck, but I think Next Wave kinda threw a wrench in those plans. But uh yeah, and, and we can there's only twelve issues. In that series, it's Warren Ellis, so I don't know how dense it may be. February is a shorter month, so I will. Uh, we can either say we're going to read all twelve issues, or we can say that you know we'll just read the first six from the first trade, even though there is an ultimate collection. So, you know, whatever you guys decide is what. Um, then well, I'm have. gonna I'm gonna take the week off when you guys do this, and Vince, I just need you to uh, pull clips from. Way back in uh, episode number 491 when I spoke at length about having reread this book. So I'm just going to tap out and you can just put in interesting pull quotes from my my review of it from, from uh, whopping uh, 30 episodes ago. Where's that coming from? <laughs> wow. Well, I, I did I did go deep on it and reread it uh, in August. It's okay. So I'm good. Maybe I'm a, good. another so I'm, reading I'm will uh, jog something else loose. Well, yes. I mean, more uh, biting, biting witticisms aside, um, I'm fine with reading all twelve issues since I just read all twelve issues. Okay. So you tell me if y'all want to talk about the six or the twelve. Well, I have the two hardcovers, so I'm uh, very interested in uh, getting back to them. I haven't read them in in quite some time. I yeah. have the twelve issues, and I have the paperback with all twelve issues. So I'll. Just start reading. See where we go. It is badass, though. For real. Oh, it sure is. It is. It is. Yeah. Fin Fang Foom in, in Eminem, boxer it's, shorts. It's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it, it's it'll be fun to, to do a deep dive on. Uh, for, it, it jokes aside, I, I would prefer we do all twelve, just because. I mean, it is not doing all twelve is kind of like mm, ranting to the eleven Oscar voters about giving a twelve issue miniseries best miniseries after six issues, like. <laughs> We'd be reviewing up until the middle of the story. So I say we go all in. Go all in, man. I, I always go all in. Yep. And it is Yo, the... Yeah, uh, you do. It's all the, deep. <laughs> it's the foundation baby. for the current Elsa Bloodstone fascination. I think Ellis was the one Ooh, that, that kicked her in the ass. Yeah. Well, kicked mm-hmm. us in the ass to notice what a great character her daddy is. And he just made. He couldn't quite uh, do the same for Monica Rambeau, though. They can only do so much with the raw material. <laughs> you know, <sighs> healing America by beating people up, Vince. Yep. And speaking of beating people up in America, that's a great segue. Oh, look at you! This is yeah. why you're a pro. We all read uh, a recently published image number one, written yes. by. Crazy Man, Alesh Coat, with art by uh, Daniel Zellas. Am I right? Is that how it's pronounced? Zellas? I believe it's, it's Zezelge, but I, Zezelge. I can't say I'm 100% Oof. sure of that. Yes. Well, it does look like Zezelge. Colors by the incredibly busy Jordi Belair, 
It is called Days of Hate, number one. Before we get deep into it, was this book as unsettling to you as it was to me? I don't know if unsettling is the right word. It is a, it's maybe uh, this, the, the one of the quotes on the inside front cover may have been a little unsettling to see. Um, okay, I guess I should explain. But myself. no, maybe I'm a little. Yeah. Okay. We are accustomed to these hate groups, which have proliferated in our country. We are accustomed to them dealing in genocide. Correct? You you get the 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 neo-Nazis who just want everyone of color dead. I mean, they they don't make any bones about it. There's the if you are not like them, you somehow have uh relieved yourself of the right to life. So in, in you know, and and even in history you had uh, the 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 scourge on the 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 Jewish people, and there there have been there have been many instances in the history of the world where genocide has come to the forefront, where a, a particular group of people are targeted for elimination, and that's usually done at the hands of the the bad people, the the people who you know are are, are not looked upon as heroes or the good guys in days of hate the good guys em- employ the same methodology as the bad guys we're talking genocide by the good guys in this book like that's that's deeply disturbing when things get so bad that what passes for the guys in the guys and gals in white when they pick up the reins and, and and employ the same tactics as the bad guys that that that's shocking to me and i guess we, we should now, explain okay. it. <clears throat> is that is 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 that because it's more shocking because it's more grounded in reality because i mean this is something that frank castle does this is something that you would see in other comics that are mostly based in in the superhero world well see i don't Um, i don't agree with that with frank castle i don't frank castle doesn't target people based on race or belief systems he targets bad people doesn't matter if you're a a neo-nazi or or a christian if you if you have murdered or did something to warrant the attention of frank castle he will take you out but in in this book an entire group of neo-Nazis are blown to smithereens by who we're supposed to believe is more heroic than the bad guys. It's okay to to just blow people up just because they engage in a practice that, yes, it's reprehensible and it's wrong, but they're killed. They're, They're blown up by the good guys. So... That doesn't disturb, uh, disturb you. I, I got to say, I didn't find this book that off-putting like you're me. Like, no, I didn't. Um, I mean, to me, this was this was like a an episode of Sons of Anarchy. Like in the sense that I don't like, I didn't see anything here that 
I don't feel like I've seen a bunch of times before. So you I think we up, might be desensitized to some things, Jason. Well, m- maybe, maybe. I but, also think, but but I also would go to say where I guess what where I have a bigger disagreement. It sounds like is your interpretation in the sense that I don't see this as a case of the good guys doing what the bad guys do. I, I see this very much as a case of this woman being one of the centerpieces of the story, but by no means is Coat making her out to be the good guy. In fact, we we the underlying narrative is her ex-wife being brought in and telling their story and saying nothing would make her happier than to ruin her life. Right, correct. But and so so I, I so I guess my point is I think if at best the person that did this is an anti-hero and one that we're being told by the writer is someone that we're going to be rooting against uh, and this protagonist who was her ex-wife is the one we're going to be on the ride with. So I don't know if I see it as a, the good guys are taking up genocide. I see this as a extremist fighting back against other extremists, which I'm frankly in the vein of a fictional story fine with. But they like, wear. It's not a, like I. But a man, Amanda and her partner wear badges. They they wear around their neck right. akin to a police badge, which it's obviously not a police badge because it has a skull on it. But but they are decorated. They're flying some kind of colors that to me mm-hmm. said this is an official. They, they are part of an official group sanctioned by somebody to deal mm-hmm. with matters of. Whether it's it's hate crimes or you know domestic terrorism, and and Coat goes out of his way to paint the official head of this national police force for that combats domestic terrorism. This this Peter Freeman, he goes out out of his way to make this person reprehensible, despicable, um, spouting the same hate that one would expect to hear from the mouths of the people that get blown up like when he's when he's talking to Amanda's ex-wife uh, he says well something about she says i'm i'm chinese american and he says well you know you look chinese to me you know she 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 mm-hmm. points out that she's chinese american she's a citizen of the united states yeah. and he and he's like well you know you're chinese meaning that that strain in your dna puts you somewhere below you know average Americans because you're, you're not, you're, you're Chinese born. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just, he's, he's, he's a slimy snake. And, um, he reaches out to Amanda's ex-wife. Her name is Huang Zing. And, um, the, the, the whole ordeal was that, um, Zing and Amanda were, I I can't say the first name, so I'm just going to call her Zing. Zing. Um, Zing and Amanda were uh, attracted to each other. They became married. Uh, Amanda was somehow uh, became pregnant, whether um, artificially inseminated or they don't go into detail. But mm-hmm. there was an altercation between the two women. Amanda, uh, wa- uh, or Zing was pushed and she lost the baby. And so from then on, the relationship broke apart. They got divorced or they, they separated. And Zing wants nothing to do than to shit on Amanda's life, to make Amanda's life right. as bad as Amanda has made hers. But the, 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 the bigger picture is Amanda and her um, 
African-American partner. He's not given a name. Uh, they're, they're visiting the site of uh, a burned nightclub. And it appears that someone had locked the uh, attendees inside, killed the guards, put flammable things into the nightclub beforehand, and then the flammable things were somehow set on fire. Everybody burned. Everybody died. Uh, because what was it? Was it a gay nightclub? It, um, I want to say yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and, and there were swastikas painted on the, on the walls in what looks like blood. Yeah. An underground party full of queer people. Right. Okay. So, um, they suspect that it was this neo-Nazi group called the Knights of the Black Sun, a group that Amanda has infiltrated in disguise as this woman, Shelley. She's, she's, she's wormed her way in. She's gained somewhat uh, gained their trust, uh, particularly because one of the guys is sweet on her there. Uh, she obviously let him on. And she waltzes into a neo-Nazi meeting where there's children running around, albeit children with guns and trucker hats, and, and there's stars and bars flying, and there's, there's the German eagles all over the place. And she just leaves a bomb under the table, shoots a guy in the temple on her exit, and the place is blown to smithereens, presumably killing everyone inside. Um, and uh, I didn't mention that this is a future story. This takes place in 2022, I yeah. believe. Yeah. So mm -hmm. uh, there, there yeah. seems to have been a civil war in America at some time. Uh, and the, the two of them, Amanda and her, her partner, are lamenting the fact that uh, nobody seems to give a shit in this this new reality like uh he's like remember when we all hated on shit like everybody went nuts in 2017 and 2018 the elections and mm -hmm. um now nobody even cares you know so yeah. th there may be a a wave of apathy that's that's sweeping the people but yeah i i just this book was this really shocking to me mainly because hmm. it's not beyond the realm of possibility Right. Yeah, I guess for me it was it wasn't shocking at all for the same reason. I I I felt it was a pretty spot on um, coin toss interpretation of how things could be in a few years. I don't even think they need to say it's in the future. It, it could yeah, have been I mean, I story. I think um, I think the the part you just highlighted is is the crux of the message, and I I've said it a million times. I think that uh, in our effort to be upset, we are we're shooting we're wasting too many of our bullets we, we we find a new thing to be infuriated about every single day and that has the inherent nature of toning out uh tuning out these things more and more getting exhausted by them bothered by them try to ignoring them mm -hmm. and also and, and and it and as a result every week or two or three uh, something happens that legitimately should have the nation the world you know, the powers that be absolutely losing their minds. And it just feels like yet another rant to people. And they're like, oh, that's just you being a liberal or, oh, that's just you being against my conservative views or vice versa, whatever, you know, depending on where you stand on that spectrum. And um, again, I, I know you didn't, I don't know if, I mean, I don't know how to get into this without being heavy, but I 100% believe that it's happening already. I, I think people are tuning each other out actively. And it's not just 
oh, if you're, you know, a pro-Trump guy, I'm not listening to you and you're not listening to me because I'm an anti-Trump guy. It's not that even. I mean, that already happened. It's being exhausted by the your people that maybe share your views because it's like, I, you know, can you get can you be outraged about every single thing? Like not everything deserves to have the same kind of outrage, especially if it's things that we should accept as likely to happen on a regular basis at this point. And, uh, yeah, I think if you fast forward a few years, um, I think we could well have an even worse situation because everyone has essentially just decided either there's nothing they can do about it because their outrage isn't held, isn't, doesn't, hasn't led to any change, or they've just have worn themselves out and are just kind of like going with the flow now. So I do think it's a powerful message, but I guess I wasn't all surprised about it. In fact, I have to tell you, I... I would have classified this book as the kind of book I had no interest in reading until you recommended that we read it because genuinely it seemed to me like it would be so on the nose that I wouldn't care about reading a comic about it since we're living that life. But there was enough to it on the radicalized side and the character development of a ex-wife versus next wife that that it superseded that for me. So while it still was very much the subject matter, I thought it would be, uh, it was very well executed yep. and frankly, very well grounded for an Alesh Cott book. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I think Alesh is a very talented creator, but I also, if I'm being forthright, I have disliked more of his work than liked. Be- not because I think it's poorly executed, but because it's just too far afield to the point where I feel it's almost work to figure out what he's trying to say. So I don't know if next issue he, he could, this is a lush cotton next issue could take a turn and I could be back into thinking, Oh, here we go again. But, but this issue seemed very grounded and well-structured and I don't know if it's because of the subject matter or because Alesh is a more diverse storyteller than I gave him credit for, but so far so good. I thought this was extremely well executed I could picture it have been a compelling first episode of a television show. And I'm definitely coming back uh, for the next issue and presumably the series. Cause I, I definitely think it was, it was well paced and I'm intrigued. Right. Well, um, I was just going to say, coat uh, wears his proclivities on his sleeve. You know where he stands. Um, and he doesn't make any, Oh, I can't about wait. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, those those ass clowns who shall not be named, or if they haven't already, are probably queuing up a YouTube video about this book. I'm sure. Yes, yes. But I mean, you ex- <laughs> you expect it, which was why this issue was so different. Was because he was almost neutral. There there was no slant either way in this. Yeah, no. I, I, I right. If I if I had to get into his head, I would say he's of the mind of, regardless of where you stand on who's right on the spectrum, y'all are going down the wrong path because you just the outrage can only go so far right and that's by design and if you it, yeah yeah david what's what you're going to say um the uh i know it's it's may not be worth harping on like like you said when he was um when he tells saying that you well you look chinese to me immediately after that he says, uh, just joking. I, I wanted to get a re- I wanted to see what your reaction would be. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that kind of, I mean, he's still a dick. And, but if he had just left it there saying, you look Chinese to me and then moved into his cell, that would have, I think, I think by throwing in that, that just joking, it, it, 
softens his. I mean, he's still. Yeah, I, we, we all know what his intent is, but I, I, I didn't want it. I didn't want um, it to seem as though he says that to her, and then that's it. Let's that land and and moves on to something else. So he 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 tries to maybe make her feel comfortable while he's he's telling her why, no, why I don't, I don't why she's it. here. I don't see it that way at all. No, I think, I mean, think I mean, just I, I saw it more as like even worse. Yeah, I th- yeah, I agree. I thought that oh, was no, an exclamation point on because to me, the just joking is him. Is it Lesh pointing out what we've been pointing out recently with some of these other fools? We're not going to name their names, but where they're so good at playing the what? I did, why right. are you accusing right. me of that? Yeah, I, I didn't, didn't say, say that. that. Yeah. No, I was kidding. I mean, can't you take a joke? Right. 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 But it, it, which is like when I call you social justice warrior, I'm kidding. It's just a joke, guys. And, you know, it's that kind of thing, you know. Um, I'm, I'm sure his name is not. Uh... Is not meant to be subtle at all with with, with it. Was it Peter Freeman? But the the uh, it's, I guess it, it's weird. It's, it's hard for me to say. I like this because I, I do want to keep it. It's a twelve issue series. I'm I'm going to um, I'll be back for the next one. I, I and even though I, I tend to read comics for escapism, there really may not be a whole lot at this particular series, but. It's um, there's enough here to want me to come back, and and mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah, no, it, it's definitely it you know, ripped from today's headlines, and and as as seen on on the news, there there's it's weird if if unlike some of the books we talked about in the last episode, where you can kind of have fun with some things, uh, this is um, it's it's heavier. And Cal Exit, which I, I wasn't expecting that, but that that book also this was kind of, much better executed than Cal Exit, in my opinion, on all fronts. I, I figured you would say that. Oh, yeah. uh, no, I'm 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 in. It's it's a uh, I saw the title and I saw the artist because yeah, Alesh doesn't do a whole lot for me. I, I thought Zero was neat, but the um, the anthology aspect of it with the different artists didn't always make it a, a, a must read for me. Uh, but this is, um, as I, it, it's the artist from Starve, which I enjoyed. So that piqued my curiosity. And then with Vince suggesting it for tonight, um, which is, you know, a very fitting Valentine's Day story. So it, it's, it's a, oh, yeah, uh, feel good all around. Yeah. That's all around, baby. <laughs> the uh, no, I, yeah. Th- there are things that, and it moves along. It, it's, it's like Jason said, where the, it being a TV show. I mean, it doesn't. It, it's not exactly storyboardy, but there are um, the way the way it all plays out. The way it it it's um, from from beginning where where we meet two of our if you call them heroes but the, <laughs> the characters and then as as we get to the to the hook at the end um complete with the not quite mic but with the cigarette drop there are just there, there, there's enough here to to keep you wanting to come back mm-hmm. the the one scene that i thought was particularly well done was when amanda's looking out the window or what was a window yep. in the the uh the discotheque and she sees a, a rather large bird fly by and then it 
transforms into a falcon because her ex, Zing, is a falconer. And she's yep. looking mm-hmm. at the she's looking at the bird and she just she her mind just wanders a little bit. Which yeah. it, it was subtle, but it suggests to me that either she feels not entirely the same as Zing, like I don't think she wants to extinguish the other side as much as Zing wants to extinguish her. Um, there may mm-hmm. still be some love there, but all that just from her being pulled out of the moment by a, a large bird, like that was really exceptionally well done and subtle too, which is not something mm-hmm. I would ascribe to Coat. I mean, the man is not, we've read zero. It's, it's not all that's, you know, it, it's, it's not subtle at all, but, uh, this art by Zezelj, he he bothers me because in in the same manner as Lovecraft, it's he he suggests he hints at like he doesn't he doesn't delineate a lot of his things, uh, a lot of the detail in his work is hinted at. He uses blacks very mm-hmm. effectively, and so our mind mm-hmm. fills in the blanks. And the blanks right. in this, this series are, it's not a pleasant place. So I think he was a wonderful choice for art on this. Yes. Yeah, I like Look at you bringing up Days of Hate on this Day of Love. That's what I'm saying. We got a little bit of love with the hate and the hate with the love. You got to balance the <sighs> equation. Solve for, yes. solve for both sides. So yes, speaking sir. of love, I, um, I floated uh, a little question to our, our Twitter peeps. And I, and I oh, said, really? I, I did. I took it upon myself. And I okay. said, uh, as soon as this thing loads, um, in honor mm. of uh, upcoming Valentine's Day, what are some mm-hmm. of your favorite relationships in comics? And we got a now, lot. Now, are we going to, uh, I, I was going to say, are we also going to provide our, our yeah, list? Yeah, yeah, just... yeah, 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 yeah. We we got a lot of uh, responses. Some um, you would expect, others not so much. Uh, Bob Gar stole mine, so I'll get to that. But uh, okay. J- Jason Ford says uh, Vision and Scarlet Witch. Yep, Hawkeye and Mockingbird, mm-hmm. and uh, John Stallard says. And Jason, you'll love this. Nobody beats Francine and Kachu. Respect. Keith C. Amaral says uh, Scott and Gene. I've always felt in sync with Scott. I too was enticed by the S&M blonde for years. Dude, still am, but uh, it always comes back to Gene. The end of Phoenix Resurrection was so satisfying. They're the gold standard in epic dysfunctional universe and death-spanning love. Now we'll get to more, but uh, who is uh, y'all's favorite relationship in comics? Mm, Richter and Shatterstar. <laughs> oh, uh, Clark and Lois. Yes, yeah, that's a good one. Okay. Uh, right now, I mean, in the moment, Batman and Catwoman. Oh yeah, for real. Way to go, Tom King. Do you, do you want the like? I, I do. You, I didn't really number them. I just have a couple couples down. Do you? You can deliver them um, any way you want. Well, the the problem. I mean, uh, um, Big B and Snow White would be up there for me. It's a goodie. Uh, Pete and Gwen. 
Yes. <laughs> My man. That, that's ridiculous. Yeah, not Pete and the whore. There's Pete and Gwen. Pete and MJ, certainly. But <laughs> no. Get out of here. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Vision, Vision and Scarlet Witch. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt and Electra. Ooh. Talk about doomed. Yeah. That's a good <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah. That's a good one. I have a couple. Um, obviously, I mean, you're going to assume that um, mm-hmm. Maggie and Hopi from Love and Rockets. Okay. Shade the Changing Man and Kathy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Swamp Thing and Abigail Arcane. Naturally. What about Reed and Sue? Well, that's that's the gold standard for me. But these are, <laughs> you know, everything below is number two or less. Oh, yeah. yeah. Reed and Sue, that's my number one. Oh, damn. Why the hell did it leave my head? Oh, that sucks. It's above your neck. I should have wrote it down. Oh. That's all right. Well, um, the the Twitter people, Colossus and Kitty. Yeah, that'd be yeah. on my list too. Yeah, they kind of spoiled. You took that her V card, dude. I'm I'm glad. Nah. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't back say. Together, by the way. Oh, nice. I'm glad you didn't say Kitty yeah. and Pete Wisdom because then I'd have to. No, uh, no. Black Canary and Green Arrow for sure. Yeah. Until the wedding. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. can't all be perfect. Right. The last two pages. Um, Whirlwind Kev says uh, MJ and Peter wrong uh, Vision, Vision yeah, and Wanda right. Justice and Firestar huh yeah okay. Scott and Jean That's Angel true. and Psylocke and Mach 1 and Songbird it's a Yikes. cool list it's a cool list uh, Aurora and Deadly Earnest there's uh, I, I, listen I, I, I to each his own, but 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 Aurora and Black Panther was a terrible relationship. Yes, yeah. it was. They yeah. were like a Hollywood couple that got married and then immediately, yeah, no, were in was, love. If, if anything, they never saw each other, and then they grew apart, and then they separated. Yeah. But okay, the week. Um, Al Jordan I, and Carol Ferris, uh, Jesse and Tulip. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, and Bob Gar says uh, Shade and Kathy, you thief. Um, Docs and Stealth. Ben mm-hmm. Teed says Alana and Marco from Saga. Oh, yeah. No, that's, yeah. A, that's an excellent one, yeah. Mm-hmm. An organic look at young parents wanting what's best for their baby daughter. Even how they meet seems realistic. And he says also Dap and Jason. Oh, true. Yeah. yeah it's true. And then he follows that up yeah, with I, or I, Dap I, and Vince, depending on what week it is. I was getting oh. there. I was getting there. Why can't I, I read yeah, Jason well. and, and Vince, depending on what week See, it is? See, I, I don't know. Understand. They must be They must be smelling the Ben, cooking, what's cooking. up, dude? Uh, Larry B. says uh, Dr. Strange and Clea. Tom Gilbert huh. says Abby Arcane and Alec Holland. Okay. Mr. Fish says Julie and the Max. Now, here's one out of left field. Uh, ben and Alicia, mm. shame on us. Yeah. And Lana Lang and John Irons. That's a recent one. Yeah. I can't believe no one has said Luke and Jessica yet. Oh, I think they're a great couple. I'd have to have read yeah, more than I did. Get I didn't read a lot of that. Oh. You didn't read the Bendis Adventures run? Not a whole lot of it, no. I thought you read all of it. I tap. I never said that. I tapped out with uh, like you did. no, I tapped out with Secret Invasion. Okay, yeah, and that was I think the, the 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 pinnacle of the relationship, wasn't it? That wasn't that when the baby came, Secret Invasion, mm-hmm. because they were wondering whether the baby was a Skrull or not. Yep. 
Yeah. Squirrel Girl was the nanny. Surprise, Vince didn't say uh, Donna, Troy, and Terry Long. <laughs> what about the Dibneys? Doomed. The Dibneys are a good one. Did they? <laughs> Didn't they? That's pretty good. Good job, that, Vince. That's I a like good, that little. It's a good list. It was, it was a, a nice distraction. Surprise, Jason didn't say uh, Marcus and his chicks from uh, Deadly Class. Jason, mm. man. No. Oh. no, it's too early, man. It's too early. I mean, they haven't been. <laughs> nah. David, Mr. Monster and his gal Friday? Yes. Oh, crap. Come on. There we go. Nice. Okay. So uh, how about Zot and um, what the hell was her name? Jenny. Jenny. How about Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor? All right. Love it. That's a great one. Walton Wheezy. Mm Mm-hmm. Walton Wheeze. Yes. Right. yes. King and Queen. Yes. Valentine's Day. Walton Wheeze. That's it. We should we should end it We're with done. that. We're done. How do you get better than King and the Queen? You or, or what about uh, Danny Warren Johnson and his wife? Oh, well, yes. It's good that you mentioned them because huge congratulations are due to them on the birth of their beautiful baby daughter. Kudos. Everybody's... I believe on February 6th, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Everybody you seems healthy and happy. So and... Much, much love to the the Johnson family. I bet you he can't wait till the the little one grows hair so he can teach her how to bang her head, shredding that. that mm-hmm. he, yes. he's a, a a paradox that dude with, with the death metal. <laughs> I don't get yes. it. I love it, but I don't. I, maybe it's not for me to understand. But I, I love. Where I you guys it. at on uh, Extremity? Because I I'm th- I'm I'm up to date, but we only have one issue left, so I figured it'd be best to visit it once twelve. Yeah, is over. yeah. I'm, waiting, I'm waiting for it to finish. Okay. I'm a bit okay. behind. All right, we can get caught up when it uh, wraps up next month. We could, we can give it its due. Cool. All right, cool. What else do we have? Um, I got a little something, something. What'd it be? Because you were mentioning uh, in the last episode and, and this month's preview, uh, DCBS previews discussion, you have been uh, calling out a, a new book by my cousin, Brian Wood. Yep. And I'm not going to talk about that book because it's not out yet, and it's Robocop. Uh, but... Um, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what I am going to talk about the second arc of a book he's doing with Dark Horse um, called Briggsland. Briggsland, the second arc, uh, with the, which was issues seven through twelve of the story, although they were actually labeled Briggsland colon Lone Wolves numbers one through six, but the trade is Briggsland volume two, not to be confused. All, all one and the same. Um, but uh, you may recall from my discussion of the first arc of the story, there's a hundred square mile um, area in upstate New York that borders Canada, and it is owned by a, uh, well, depending on who you, you know, it's, it's owned by the Briggs family, and it is a, uh, a secessionist group, basically. They, 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 they claim their independence. And... As, as is off the case when those kind of things happen, the government doesn't take kindly to that and is looking to shut them down, make their life miserable. And this has been going on for, for generations. And the Briggs family have been the leaders and the founders, and they are up to all kinds of no good. Drug trafficking, human trafficking, prostitution, you know, you, you name it. They're, they're, they're involved in it. Um, good stuff. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Um, 
all the current the leader of at the time is Jim Briggs. He's the 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 patriarch of the family. But at the start of the series, Jim is in jail. Jim has been caught and sent to jail for a long time for a murder. And so his wife, 50-year-old Grace, is now the titular head of Briggsland, um, which is good and bad. It's, it's, it's good because she is the, you know, the wife of the leader um, and has a claim to it. But it's bad because this is a, a relatively backwards, uh, reductive, recidivist culture which also then lends itself to be pretty pro-masculine. And so um, not everyone takes kindly to the idea of a woman running things, especially when we find out that she is trying to make them go legit because she thinks that the old ways of being criminals, is just going to get them in trouble in today's day and age. They're getting, it's getting harder and harder to maintain their independence. She can sense that the government is very close to taking action and shutting them down or trying to, or, or getting bloody. And so she, um, and, and this is all in the first trade. I, I, I talked about it back when it came out, but the, the, we, we find out during the first arc that she in fact was partly responsible for putting her husband in jail. She sent him away so she could take control. Now she is at this point, uh, backed up by her sons. One of who is a, uh, ex, 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 um, army ranger who did two tours of uh, duty in Afghanistan uh, and then her other sons and then their daughters uh, also play prominent roles. And the first arc is really getting to know these characters and really establishing Grace as a badass in her own right and setting up the pending conflict between Grace and her husband, Jim, who is in prison but still has some influence and is getting uh, intel and can, you know, and has supporters within within the place. Well, the second, this second trade is a bit different that we start really focusing on the outside influences and how they compete against Briggsland proper. Um, one of her sons, the the ex, the vet, is uh, prone to hi- he's fond of hiking uh, all throughout their property to uh, mellow out, to escape, to relax, what have you. And he's out with his nephew, and they come across uh, a married couple um, from Canada who are just hiking. You know, they're just going on a long hike, trying like through the Appalachians. They're trying to find the Appalachians, but they get off path. And they wander into Briggsland territory. Um, and through a series of unfortunate circumstances, the, the, the son has to, feels compelled to take them into custody because he doesn't think that they can afford to let them leave after what they saw. And it puts them in a tough spot because they know that they're being constantly surveilled by the feds and the feds are looking for any reason to, to break onto the property and to uh, cause a scene. So they have to decide what to do. Uh, do they kill them? Uh, do they just let them go? What, what's the alternative? So, so that's the big crisis. And in the meantime, some other things are going on that are inviting, um, uh, in- inviting more and more scrutiny from the government. Um, and this arc really delves into the very delicate politics of Grace Briggs trying to legitimize an illegitimate uh, subculture. While at the still, at, but but yet she's still fiercely, fiercely in support of their sovereign right to have that land and to not be burdened by government intervention. So she's trying to keep part of what made them who they are, while modernizing other parts of it. Um, and we each issue looks into a different member of the family quite closely in this arc. We get a look at her daughter-in-law, who, uh, unlike most of the people in the story, wasn't born in Briggsland. 
she uh, met one of the Briggs boys um, when he was out at another part of the country um, and fell in love with him and then came back and married him. And then, you know, so she's kind of born, not, she wasn't born into it. She was brought into it. So she's got a decidedly more modern interpretation of things. And she helps a girl uh, come off of, of the, of, of the, um, of Briggsland to, she's pregnant, 16 year old girl's pregnant. She helps the girl come, uh, come out and get an abortion. Um, because that's not acceptable. Um, among their society. And then Jim, the husband is starting to exert his will back on his wife, trying to reclaim control in some way. Uh, and grace is faced amidst this broader issue of, of having these two people kidnapped and what to do with them. And, uh, and the government bearing down on them, trying to prove that they have them kidnapped. Uh, she is then met with what I guess you could consider like a little bit of a coup, um, or an attempted at a coup. Um, and she has to deal with that. So it's a very tight, intricate, politically charged narrative with tons of different players. Uh, it's a compl- it's a complicated story. Everybody's got their own motivations, their own issues. Um, it's one of those things where enemy of my enemy is my friend type of thing. Um, you're not quite sure where everybody stands at the end of the day in terms of their allegiances. Uh, and, uh, of course it's got the underpinnings of some very relevant, uh, political posturing as well, much like the last book we discussed, given the current times, um, you know, the idea of secessionists and that sort of thing has certainly, uh, been at the forefront in the last few years and in sub- several other areas. Uh, and Brian's always been very political in his writing. Um, he, he certainly made a career of it really. So no surprise that he would, uh, dive back in. Um, but the, before I wrap up on, on the book, I need to say that uh, the store, the, the, the real star of this for me is, is Mac Chater, who is the artist. Uh, the book is colored by Lee Lowridge. Um, and there is an issue, a fill-in issue drawn by Vanessa Del Rey. But Mac has drawn uh, five of these issues. And I think he drew five of the first six as well, if not all six. Um, so it's his book in essence. And uh, I think his, his work is great. It's, it's, not dissimilar to um, George Genty when he was doing mm. Buffy in the sense that it's it's a little – I think he probably does use a little bit of photo refer in terms of some of the characters. Um, like I think he draws Grace to look like Julianne Moore. Like I, I do think that he's intentionally probably using reference of Julianne Moore. But like Genty, he's far enough into the – that he's actually drawing these characters with – hints of those people but not he's not trying to photo ref them you know what i mean like it's 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 you can you can tell that he's getting some real world inspiration for some of these characters but but he's he's still drawing them from his own hand he's not light boxing them you know if you know what i mean um and so so i think it works well um you brian if if you're a fan of of brian's stuff like like dmz um, there's no reason you won't love this book. If based, if you're like many and, and don't want political books or you've had enough of this kind of stuff, probably not up your alley. Cause this is more of that. But, uh, I think it's, it's been terrific through 12 issues and we're getting about six issues a year. It seems cause I'm pretty sure Briggsland was in 2016 
and then this wrapped up toward the fall, I think, of of 17, and then the trade just came out. So I assume we're getting maybe six issues a year of this, which is a nice pace because it doesn't overwhelm you. It gives you time to, to stay up, up on it. And um, this is probably another book that either my booze here are going to run out and, and read. It's this uh, Brian Wood's never been either on either of your two short lists, it seems. But uh, but certainly I, I, I have liked, if not loved, most of his creator-owned work, and uh, this is no exception. Props for like it. pimping the family. Yeah, he's sort of like he's sort of like the black sheep of the family, but you know. Do you get a Christmas card? He can write. He can write though. This no, is, no, he you don't. You don't get a Christmas year. card. Oh well. Uh, I don't send him one. Oh, I see how it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Brian Wood hasn't been on my short list since Northlanders. No, I know. I know. Yeah. And it's just because I I just don't actively seek out his work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Vince. Hi. Hi. Uh, since this is a uh, patron-supported episode, there was a post on our Patreon site, which is patreon.com slash 11oclockcomics. Uh, it is from Colin Mitchell, and he says, Hi, Vince. Could you give some additional info on the buttons that you included in the December care package? Ah, well, those buttons were all printed from illustrations that I included in my master's thesis. They're all deconstructed cereal boxes. I I took the aesthetic of the, the cereal box. There are certain traits that are common to cereal boxes. There's, I won't go into it, but what I did was I did a wacky packages slash mad magazine deconstruction of the traditional cereal box and mine are as you would expect foul profane littered with four-letter words and expletives death misogyny all sorts of stuff on the cereal boxes anything you would you wouldn't expect to see on a cereal box i put them on my cereal boxes and um they're just a pastiche a la wacky packages and uh, in the traditional Harvey Kurtzman vein. Uh, and I tied it all together with Mad Magazine and Harvey Kurtzman in, in my thesis. But those, the buttons are details of much larger images that I use in my master's thesis. That's all. Excellent. I, yeah. I knew that. We knew that. Jason and I knew that. And, and I, the buttons are sitting above me on the desk that mm-hmm. record the episode and, at. I, I, I loves them. And they're all gone. I, I have no, no more. I have no more. I included a set in the last uh, 20 or so Patreon uh, packages, and now I'm left with nothing, which is good. It's a good feeling. Get that work out there, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, Go ahead. No, I was just going to make a segue, but if you have something, you go. Go for that brass ring. One more, one more Patreon-related question. Someone asked, and I was trying to find the post from the person who did, but it's been asked, how do you decide what your thought process as far as which covers you pick for your EOC cover a day project? Ha! (laughs) There's really no process. Sometimes I just turn to the right and look at the stacks of books that I've yet to to catalog and and, um, bag and board. And whatever is on the stack are the books I go with sometimes. Other times, 
like the Grimjack cover that I put up. Um, Grimjack mm-hmm. number, uh, what was it? Um, 61, the Henry Flint Henry uh, cover. It's just things that will be bubbling and simmering in the back of my mind, and I'll, I just remember, you know, memory. It's fleeting, but sometimes it's like a boomerang. It comes back, and I'll remember a great cover from the past, and I'll be like, oh, that'd be a cool image. But um, no, there's really no methodology behind it. It's whatever I'm, I'm in the mood to do. I will say that um, upcoming, there are two themed weeks coming your way. Oh. Yes, the first themed week is all Marvel. I do an entire week of nothing but Marvel. Oof. Yep. And the week after, I do a week of nothing but Legion covers. Oh. Yep. Legion, Legionnaires, The Legion, uh, the three boot. Uh, there's an annual in there. But The Legionnaires 3 miniseries. I did not do one oh, for okay. that. Sorry. I only had seven. Seven to choose from. Pretty so cool. I picked. Right. I know. I know. But whatever the case, we're having a hell of a lot of fun on our Patreon. So um, if you're not in on the fun, maybe you should be. Maybe you should check it out. Um, Patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. One, one, no apostrophe in there. And uh, just peruse. You probably won't be able to see the covers or the videos because they are reserved for uh, one of the lower tiers of uh, patronage, but it is a tier above that you can see by just dropping in. So there won't be any videos. There won't be any covers of the day on there, uh, but they're there. You just have to <laughs> unlock them. You know, that's it. Yeah. Um, I have something. What you it, get? It, it could have been a love story if uh, things went a different way, but uh, unfortunately it, it's not a love story. It's from Titan Comics. My publisher of the year for 2017. I heard that. Yeah, it's Dan Dare, number four. <coughs> um, and my suspicions were correct. Remember I was talking about the they duplicated the Chris Weston image for issues two and three? Well, they done, yes. they done screwed up. Because on the back of issue number four... There's a Chris Weston image that I remember seeing, but not on the front. And it says, original B cover for issue number three, art by Chris Weston. That's a very nice way of saying, we screwed up. Here's what you would have gotten had we included the right cover on the B version of issue number three. For once, I was right. But anyway. Look at you. Yeah, it's the last, the final issue in this miniseries. And um, not unexpectedly, it takes a turn. Uh, If you remember, I said uh, there were some questions on whether or not the Mekon was actually being good. Actually, he turned a corner and was abandoning his uh, villainous lifestyle and trying to subjugate all manner of living and breathing things. and as the story opens, one would think that, yes, he, he did turn a corner. Because, um, if you remember, I talked about the alien girl, Atoween, whose people were ravaged 
by the trains and uh, the Mekon, which is the super train. Um, and her people were decimated. So she hates anything train. And um, she gets in a position where she gets a bead on the Mekon. She, she, she pulls a gun from a guard and she levels it at the Mekon and Dan Dare, being who he is, very British and very proper and, and addicted to protocol. And, and, you know, he jumps in between the barrel of her gun and the Mekon and she fires. The Mekon kicks Dan out of the way with his floating platform and takes the full brunt of the laser blast. And she kills the Mekon. And she's happy about it, mm. too. She's, she's giddy. Uh, she's thrown in solitary confinement. And the Mekon is um, put um, not in stasis, but in a, in a secure location um, so as his body won't decompose. They, they do want to, you know, maybe study him. But it gives some pirates the opportunity to steal his body parts because the uh, reproductive organs of a super train uh, would go for big bucks on the black market. So they infiltrate the uh, prison on the moon and try and, and steal the, the Mekon's body parts. But they're thwarted. Um, they're, they're squashed. The, their, their minds. Suddenly, they, they have Dan and Atoween under the gun, literally under the gun, and they're about to kill them both, and uh, they suddenly collapse. Now, what could possibly do that? <laughs> well, it turns out when the, our trains are approaching death, their body shuts down, even in a, in a, in a lower state than a coma. There's no vital signs at all to their bodies. And he was in a, a, a state of self-repair. And he saves Dandere and Atoween, and she has, she's stunned that her greatest enemy would ever take steps to, uh, to save her. And so the Mekon's like, I just want to get back to my flowers, my plants. Can I go back to my cell, to my plants? And they're like, okay, you know, well, why not? Go back. But in true Mekon fashion, it was all a ruse. They go back to his cell. The Mekon is nowhere to be found. He split the joint, and Dan Dare is left wondering if uh, it was all just a, a big ruse to gain his sympathy. Um, and it's, as we've come to find out in this issue, it's the end of book one, which means there's more mm -hmm. Dan Dare, yes, in the future. If it's anything like this first miniseries, man, I am in so deep, I can't even tell you. This was a lot of fun. It was written, I didn't give this in the beginning, I should have, written by Peter Milligan, art by Alberto Fochi, uh, colorist is Jordi Esquin Lorac. It was amazing. I, I, I love this so much. Your mileage may vary if you're not, uh, you know, that into classic sci-fi or um, non-gritty sci-fi. This is very Star Blazers, very British. Um, there's a, a slight air of... Yeah, yeah, there's a slight air of um, the the uh, above-boredness of Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. there, there's massive attention to 
the, the protocol and the way things work and um, giving others the benefit of the doubt. It's dandier squeaky clean. And, and, you know, so if you're looking for blood and guts, this is not the book for you. But if you're looking for a, a, a throwback to a, an age when, um, you know, everybody and their brother was reading 2000 AD and the dandier was top of the pops, so to speak, check this out. It, it was refreshing. And, and I welcome much more of it. Dandier number four. I dig it. Can't beat those Titan comics. We're heard up. Anybody else have Titan. anything else? I mean, who are you asking? Of course. Well, I'm asking anybody else means both of you. I want her dad bring it. Um, something not quite comic related. Uh, I watched... Love to talk non-comics. That's right. I watched a movie, and I watched it in the order Vince suggested. Mm-hmm. I watched them in. Um, I watched... The Cloverfield Paradox, which I enjoyed a lot. Nice. Uh, my first foray into the Cloverfield uh, franchise or phenomenon, or whatever you want to call it. Um, I am I'm a sucker for alternate realities. I'm a sucker for uh, space. I thought the cast was fantastic. I enjoyed the movie a lot immensely. I, I really had a good time watching Paradox. Um, then... I watched Cloverfield. I am not a big fan of found footage movies. I, I don't even like POV porn. I just, I, I like <laughs> the... Um, Shut your filthy mouth. It, it's, I, it's, uh, I'm sorry. I just, they're just, I mean, I, I don't, I can be in, I, I, I get the whole idea of it. I think it's cool because, you know, there are stories where I'll enjoy that but most of the subject matter for those movies I'm, I'm not a big horror guy so you know the whole paranormal activity and 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 blair witch i just i this subject matter wasn't appealing to me and and again i'm not a horror guy so for that i apologize that i i know you love it i i, I kind of don't this i did enjoy cloverfield though uh partly for tj miller but also because it wasn't necessarily trying to be a horror movie i i i loved the monsters um because i i enjoy that we see just enough initially so that it makes sense for it to be a found footage type movie because you're not getting um a fancy special effects laden science fiction movie and uh it's just four then three and two people running around in new york and and uh i i enjoyed that a lot so i did enjoy cloverfield as well and it's what i've enjoyed about the whole cloverfield experience is that even though they're all connected they're all different genres it's you you have the science fiction movie with paradox and you have the pretty much the horror movie with 10 cloverfield lane and i wasn't sure what i was going i i remember the the commercials i remember the ads and and everybody oh it's the cloverfield sequel and that's great and 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 
based on what they were shown before you saw the movie for anybody they'd see the movie nobody was really sure where it may have connected or, or tied into it uh i like 10 cloverfield lane a lot as well it it like based on who i know and and how they feel about the three movies i i wasn't expecting to like lane as much as i did um uh, it was a little close, although obviously it was claustrophobic, but I I, it, I probably would have enjoyed it more had we seen more than the three and a half people in the movie, but I thought the uh, overall I, I I dug the um, the idea behind yeah. the first sequel as well, but I... Goodman I, plays I a great creep. Oh my god, it was yeah, insane. He was, <laughs> it, was so, it was so bad. Um but no, I, 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 so thank you for having me watch it in that order. I don't think if I watched Cloverfield first, it would have turned me off from the others. I still would have went for it. But um, I don't know if watching the last movie um, increased my appreciation for the first one, uh, seeing it's, it's a movie that's not quite 10 years old. But it, it's, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I enjoyed it. So thank you. Yeah, the only thing... The first movie, we are led to believe, um, with the last scene, when he's taking a picture or a video of, of her, and you see the thing splash down in the water behind her, mm-hmm. off to the distance, we are supposed to believe that that splashdown is the survivors from the satellite. From Paradox. Yes. Okay. The... World of Cloverfield, the New York City and surrounding area, does not look like a society in the midst of a crippling energy crisis to me. That, well, but that's that's because Clover- it's an alternate reality now. Well, no, 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 no. But, oh, but, but the the Cloverfield paradox is set in the future. Cloverfield, the movie, is set in the present. They're they're they have they're. Part of the whole paradox is the time shifting as well. There's, they're not, they, they're not coincident, nor are they meant to be. I and I know this because I was fascinated about how they all tied into each other if they really did, and I read all about it, and including from the creators. They're 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 t- they're set in totally different time periods. So what is you're just that? meant to believe that the paradox creates it? It bends space time so it fucks up space time so much that it ends up creating rifts throughout all the different dimensions and leads to these monsters appearing at different time periods in different part, different earths. Oh. So the original Cloverfield, these monsters show up on our earth in this one. This is all taking place in the far future where there's an energy crisis. So what splashed down in the, the back scene, the, the background of that f- end scene of the first cl- uh, Cloverfield? What was that? No idea. No clue. I mean, you do realize that these movies have, were made to be connected to each other after the fact, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, it's it's like one yeah. of the yeah. ultimate... Just because they're all, under, they're, they're all under what's-his-name's um, production. That Abrams. robot. Yeah. Abrams, yeah. I will say one thing. Yeah. I think Abrams, as successful as he is and um, as accomplished as his movies are, he's a bit of a tease. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I would not be able to budget myself or... Um, moderate myself when i have a giant monster in my back pocket or many giant monsters and uh, mm-hmm. to just show it at the end like that i mean that's the money shot 
You know, I mm-hmm. I, I want them all over the place. I want a, a Cloverfield movie in the future where it's nothing but survivors trying to stay that way in the midst of this monster-ridden landscape. That, to me, would be the ultimate Cloverfield movie. But mm-hmm. didn't they say that the next one's going to be a World War II? Yeah. Yeah, see... I mean, oh, I, cool. I'm okay. interested, but not, not a as, big war buff. Yeah, not I, as much the, as I um, would have been if it was all out monster action. He's a tease. Right. He's a, dude's a tease. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I really enjoyed the first Cloverfield. I think it's an imperfect movie for sure, but I'm on the opposite side of the trade with Dap on the phone footage. I'm a sucker for that. So, um, so I enjoyed that. I real, but but it's fair to say. I mean, for me, what I, I enjoyed as much about that is all of the the off screen, yes, internet based Easter eggs yep. and, and setup yep. that that had our minds racing for what happened before and after. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really well done from a marketing standpoint. Um, I did not like Tin Cloverfield Lane at all. Oh, um, yeah, I didn't. I, I really that. didn't care for it, and I didn't. And I felt as though the tie in at the end was simply because. They thought, let's tie it into Cloverfield so we can sell a couple extra tickets. Um, so, so I didn't do anything for me. And Paradox, not a very good movie. Ridiculous things happen in the film that make no sense whatsoever. <laughs> but I enjoyed it for what it was. I, you know, it's an interesting. Netflix is in this interesting position where, at least for me, I'm holding them to a much different standard. Like movies like this or Bright, I recognize they're not great films. But it's on Netflix. I'm already paying for Netflix. Right. So if it's there... And it's basically free in essence. I mean, in the sense that I'm already paying with or without this movie being on it. I just, I don't have any expectation. I'm not dropping 60 bucks to bring my family to the theater. Exactly. You know? um, but yeah, look, so. look at the production values of Cloverfield mm-hmm. Paradox. It looks as good as anything you would go to the theater to see. Oh, for, well, sure. Yeah. And, and it was, it, as you may know, it was, it was a film set to be released in theaters in April and the new head of Paramount is trying to cut costs. And so he sold it to Netflix. No kidding. It was, it was made. Yeah. It was made to be released in the theaters. Oh, they bought it two weeks ago and then put it out. So, Hmm. That's very interesting. But either way, I mean, yeah. Yeah. That Netflix has that kind of clout that they could just buy a major motion picture just to distribute on their, their Oh, there is, I mean, from a market cap standpoint, they're as large as any media company outside of Disney now. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty cool. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm glad you, you uh, enjoyed it, David. Me too. You're the hardest sell when it comes to things like that. Mm-hmm. Really? Oh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, horror movies? I think yeah. so. I feel like you're not a, a, a big fan of horror movies in general. Oh, horror movies. Yes. No, you're right. It's weird. I don't, I mean, aside from, I, yeah, I mean, I, a horror movie for me would be Blair Witch or Paranormal or any of those other along that line. I, 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 I guess Cloverfield would, would, could be described or categorized as a horror, but I never, it, it didn't fit for whatever reason it didn't. And maybe because I just, I, I know now, but it, I didn't get the same type of, um, vibe from it that I would have mm-hmm. gotten from a traditional horror movie. 
Jason, mm-hmm. when you say ridiculous things happen in the movie, you're talking about the arm sequence? <laughs> talking about many things, but yeah, the arm, of sure. I, it, it just because I think that it's one thing for the arm to just go and him to have no pain because it was some kind of phantom dimensional shift, but the dude acts like he got a flea bite. I mean, he's cracking jokes about it a minute <laughs> yeah. later. I mean, I mean, what human being wouldn't be catatonic about that? They almost just got sucked into a metal wall, and they now have lost their arm. And he's like cracking jokes. So I, I don't, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think the, the, I mean, I guess we're gonna go into spoilers for for me, and it's all fine because the movie just isn't really about any of these things. These were all little scenes just to make it seem crazier, to make us feel like reality really was becoming unpredictable. So it doesn't ultimately matter, but. But uh, the worms was ridiculous. There's worms. Suddenly, all the worms are in the dude's body. And then they're talking. We're led to believe they're talking to him because he's having a conversation with them as they're moving around his face that prompt him to make a gun to presumably carry out whatever bidding that they had all agreed to do. And then we have the obligatory aliens coming out of the gut scene, which is in like every space horror movie ever. And (laughs) then they just all flop on the ground and they squish a few of them. And that's the last we ever hear of them. Like, why were the worms sentient? Like this was two dimensions morphing into each other, but why, you know? So, um, yeah, so it's, I mean, but it's fine. I mean, it's nitpicky, but none of that's important to the story, right? right? The story is just about this crew trying to decide whether they can get home. And if it's worth destroying one planet to save another, right? I mean, so, um, there were a lot of non sequiturs, um, for sure. But, but, uh, I I enjoyed it. I, I thought, yeah, I enjoyed it. I love that about it. I love the arm sequence, and I, I thought the worms was, were cool um, and visually arresting. So, I mean, I, it worked for me. But again, like mm-hmm. you, I didn't have anything invested in it other than the nine bucks or whatever it is that you pay for right, Netflix right. a month. So, yeah, it was mm-hmm. it was all gravy for me. I, I, I enjoyed it very much. All right. Mm-hmm. Hey, everybody. Uh, this episode has been brought to you by our amazing Patreon supporters. If you would like to become one of them, do yourself and us a favor and check out our Patreon site, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics, and um, join the fun. And if you'd also like to join the fun, we're available 24-7 on the Facebooks and the Twitter and all other places. And we're just having a great time. And, and we would like to have you with us because the more the merrier. In your travels, I got something very special. Do you now? I do. Let me just grab it over here. I ordered I like this. Um, as soon as I saw the solicitation for this in the previews, I circled it, which means I'm ordering it. And uh, I didn't really look at the fine print uh, simply because of what mm-hmm. it is. Um, if we're talking wheelhouse, this is uh, smack dab in the middle. It is uh, from Archie Comics. It's a trade paperback collecting the entire run of The Chilling Adventures in Sorcery. It uh, features a beautiful Francesco Francavilla cover. Uh, inside the book, you will encounter work by, are you sitting down? Gray Morrow, Alex Toth, Frank Thorne, Marvin Channing, Vicente Alcazar, Dick Giordano, Howard Chaikin, Dan DiCarlo, Jim DiCarlo, Bill Yoshida, Frank Doyle, John D'Agostino, Stan Goldberg, Mario Aquaviva, 
Don Glute, Phil Suling, Carol Suling, Larry Hama, Rudy LePick, Steve Skeets, Mary Screeners, Ed Davis, T. Creek Casey Brennan, Carlos Pino, Henry Scarpelli, and Bruce Jones. Now, why am I saying I didn't read the fine print? Well, um, the Chilling Adventures in Sorcery line was um, Archie's attempt to cash in on the horror boom. And uh, the first two issues of which are hosted by Sabrina, as well they should be. And they are not quite EC style, because it is Archie Comics. Um, but they are in the EC vein, with the O. Henry ending, and you have vampires and werewolves and all sorts of beasties, but hosted by Sabrina. And then, um, Grey Morrow became um, quite prominent at Archie Comics. They brought him in and they allowed him to edit the book. There was a brief hiatus. So Gray Morrow comes on and that's when it changed to Red Circle Comics, Chilling Mm. Adventures in Sorcery. And the book was very comparable, uh, favorably comparable to the best issues of uh, House of Mystery. And House of Secrets. But the thing about this book is, and I didn't notice this when I first ordered it, I thought, okay, they're going to reprint the Chilling Adventures and Sorcery line and it'll all be good. The entire book is in black and white. So you get to mm. see Gray Morrow and Howard Chaikin and Dick Giordano artwork as it was originally drawn. There's no bad coloring or ham-fisted coloring to obscure the beautiful line work. It looks like a Warren magazine now. I mean, this is legendary class <coughs> work. Gray Morrow is one of my unsung heroes of of, For sure. of comics. He is an ex- he's an amazing talent, and it is on full display here. And I got to say, revisiting these stories, they're quite mm-hmm. sexy. I mean, far more sexy than you would have assumed coming out of Archie comics. It is a a must have. If you're a horror fan, you need this book. So it's the chilling adventures and sorcery. The cover price is, um, $19.99. I got it for half that through DCBS. Crazy, right? And it it is rated mature violence and mature content. Mm. These were published on the newsstand back in the day. There's not really anything mature about this. Um, there, there's some very sexy images. And, you know, now we don't see them as being overly violent. But, you know, maybe back in the day, I don't even know. They were approved by the Comics Code. So they can't be that mm-hmm. violent. Wow, okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Chilling Adventures in Sorcery, get it. It's amazing. Uh, in your travels, this is a prelude to an event that's going to come out that happens in May. So it, I was a little surprised that what this is leading up to doesn't happen for another few months. But in any case, this is written by Joshua Williamson. Uh, it has a framing sequence. The, the bookend of the story is by Howard Porter. The interior mm. bulk of it is by Christian Duce, uh, Hi-Fi is your colorist, and 
it is Flash Annual number one. And uh, I decided to check this out because of, um, of the original Wally West. Um, I think Hassan said it was a um, it was something worth checking out. So it was, it's, this is partly his fault. I dug the Porter scenes because it, they, those take place in the future because the Flash Museum has been uh, ransacked and, and uh, quite disheveled. And there's floors that have just been have collapsed on each other. Uh, there are um, I mean, the, the the speed force that had just the place is a mess, and uh, the, the they apparently it may be due to Eobardthon, the Reverse Flash, but uh, there is a um, it, it's I guess yeah they're, they're like the science police more or less who are who are here to um to solve this mystery. And a uh, a judge appears at the end, who is um, <coughs> he's going to he's going to send these uh, these officers back in time to figure to, to solve this, to see what's going on, because apparently this all hinges on on Iris West. Uh, so he sends these officers back and the part that i really dig is um they they refer to themselves as the renegades and when they show up they reveal themselves as mirror monarch commander cold heat stroke weather warlock and golden guardian and I like Flash's rogues and, and to see them kind of promoted or, or, or grown up um, was a little bit of a special treat for me. And then there's a reveal on the last page as to who the judge actually is. But the, the like I said the meat of it is this story about Wally West, who every time, because he's still a man out of, out of place, um, because this DC universe has Barry Allen and and the new Wally West, uh, so the Teen Titans Wally West kind of feels obviously at at a place, and he doesn't really want to uh, talk to his aunt about any of this, and and he's uh, he's tried to um, look for Linda, and and things didn't go well with that, but here he comes across Francis Kane, who we um, we know as a um, from the Teen Titans days as, as a member of the team and when he uh, when Wally shows up he kind of jogs something in her memory and uh, she turns into Magenta and, and they have their, their usual um, battle and, and it that again some of that some of the things that were going on inside I wasn't really vibing with some of the art was good on some pages, not so hot on some of the others, but, uh, the, the, the actually where I'd have my druthers, I'd, I'd, 
I'd love to see the science police scenes as the free comic book day issue, uh, 16 pages right there. <laughs> and, and I'd be sold for, for the upcoming flash war. Um, because I'm not current on the main flash title. Uh, I'm not sure what, or, or the Titans. I'm not sure really what Wally's been up to. So, so while it was neat seeing him here, some of it was, was kind of lost on me, but uh, I am curious to see where we're going with the flash war. So I'll probably be back in May. I'll set my calendar and, and I'll, um, I'll check it out. But yeah, in your travels, flash annual number one. Right on, right on. I've heard the flash ongoing is in quite a good place right now. I believe I've heard the same thing. Yeah. It's not a book I've I've read frequently over the years, but uh but my my curiosity has peaked. Um so in your travels, I got a shout out um issue number 6 of Mr. Miracle. Nice. It's the best issue of the series so far in my opinion. I agree. Nice. Um I I can only say that Tom knows how to write a story about a couple. Because just like he did with the bat and the cat and Clark and Lois, this is an issue where basically <laughs> it's it's just badass. He and Mitch just crushed it with this one. Essentially, uh, where we left off with issue five is uh, Mr. Miracle has been found guilty of treason and is to report to um, to Orion's joint, who's uh, the high father now. He's, he's supposed to report to him for his execution. Um, so he and, and Barda are heading heading there to New Genesis, and but they're uh, they're they're going. Uh, somebody just got an email. Um, heading to Thanks. New Genesis to they got their own plans in mind, and throughout the issue the entirety of their conversation is about Barda explaining all the things she wants to do to their apartment <laughs> to renovate it. And him being the typical, it's a, it's a very stereotypical man, woman discussion where the woman is talking about all this remodeling and the husband's like, well, I, but that what we have is fine or I don't need that. Or, um, and she's just got all sorts of details. She wants to knock out a wall. She wants to cut the living room in half because they don't need stuff. And then, He's like, well, I like this stuff. And she's like, yeah, but you grew up in a three by three box. So you're always trying to come out of your box and, you know, and, 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 and you always want more stuff because we didn't have stuff when we were kids because we grew up in, you know, in the pits. And, um, but while they're doing this, um, just proving what absolute badasses are, they are, they were getting into Orion's throne room, um, through a series of back doors and, um, they're basically they're basically infiltrating um, the new gods compound, and they're doing so in uh, in ways that um, they weren't intended. So they're going through a million different deadly um, defense mechanisms, and they're they're just you're just blowing through them like a hot knife to butter, as though they're 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 at the as though those activities are afterthoughts to the broader issue at hand, which is whether or not they're going to redo their their apartment. And I'm talking about, I mean, they're, <laughs> they, you know, they're, Vince, I don't know if you've read this issue yet, but at one point they, they are taking on a bunch of new gods, soldiers, guards. They disembowel one of them and they use his intestines as a <laughs> tightrope to cross a giant pit of a void of nothingness. Wow. 
I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and they just they just beat they slaughter and beat the shit out of everything in their path. Giant sea monsters, uh, laser beams. They they take the corpse of one of the guards and use him to set off the laser beams. Uh, and, and they're just doing it all and just having this grand conversation about how they're going to redo their apartment the whole time. Um, they kill a new god very nonchalantly, I might add, <laughs> like like with 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 Naria, no pomp and circumstance whatsoever. A very prominent uh, new god, I might add, um, and then. The conversation we find out um, has uh, her 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 desire to remodel the apartment is not for random reasons. Let's put it that way. Yes, she she's must been be pregnant. A horse to water. She must be pregnant. Well, maybe, maybe Why not. not. What else? Got to read the issue. Yeah, I will. But yeah. So, did you guys? So it was um, just absolutely beautifully done. And Jared's, I mean, again, seeing Jared's was having a lot of fun. I mean, imagine on a script, it's like, okay, this guy's going to be disemboweled, and then they're going to use those entrails for a tightrope. I mean, you don't get to draw that in a DC comic very often. No, hell no. Did you guys read uh, Tom's uh, Swamp Thing special? Not yet. Oh, I haven't. I haven't read it yet. Yo, no, I haven't read it yet. It's a, well, it's one of the reasons why I didn't bring it up, because I didn't see it on your lists, and I would like to, mm-hmm. to talk about it. It was okay. we'll read it for next week. phenomenal. Nice. Yeah, he... Um, That's what I like to hear. I mean, Tom, he's been crushing everything, and this was... It was one of the better Swamp Thing stories in a long, long time. Yeah, it was great. Sweet. Yep. So we'll get to Sweet. that next episode, and you all will be here with us when we talk about it. Uh, please, we'll have um, something here waiting for you other than the three of us. Some great discussion, hopefully. Uh, in the meantime, don't make them salty. Say goodnight. <clears throat> David. Oh, good night. David. It's close enough. Close enough. Yeah, yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right. Have some more milk. No. <laughs> Thanks. You make me gag just thinking about good. it. No, it's not mighty good. It's like drinking pus. So it does a body good. It does no one good. That's why cows get rid of it. They don't even want it. Take it from me. It's disgusting. <laughs> okay. Come back. Latest. Call us. Peace out. A good friend of mine and I got together on this, and it goes like this. He says... Whoa. Are we moving too slow? Have you seen, seen us? Oh, Uncle Ray, him us. Oh, we look a pretty shy in these clothes.
has disquieted your way unless it's in the winter or when it's froze. Off the rich 